Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. He did something so unusual that it made my blood go cold. I was drenched with panic and took a step back to look further down the stockroom. That's when I completely panicked, and all I could do was try to cover myself with my arms. Listener discretion advised. You're just moments away from true tales of terror that will leave you breathless. From Disturbed Media, I'm your host, Chad, and this is Disturbed. Thanks to Best Fiends for their support. Best Fiends is the binge-worthy mobile puzzle game. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. No business to discuss today, so we're going to get right into it. Our first experience comes to us by way of email submission from Cheryl, and we learn about... The Bludgeoning Man. Performing this experience is Tanya Eby. A few months ago, I decided to take a late afternoon walk. I live in a seaside town in England, and it was still light when I set out, so I thought I could make it back before I lost the daylight. I also had a few episodes of Disturbed to catch up on, and I love listening whilst I get my steps in. I headed along my usual route, following the seafront until I got to the harbor, before turning to head home. The light had started to fade, and as the minutes went by, I realized it was going to be dark soon. I was still a good half an hour from home, so I quickened my pace and kept my wits about me. My hometown is small and relatively safe, especially compared to a lot of places in England, but you can never be too sure. And as I walked... I made sure there were other people around. I walked past the fishing club and was looking at all the little fishing boats on the beach as I noted again how dark it had gotten. This part of the walk is much more isolated. You lose view of the road and residential houses here, and I'm always especially wary as I walk through. It was then I noticed I couldn't see anyone else, and out of nowhere, I felt a sudden dread. 
but I couldn't place it. I took off my headphones so I could be as alert as possible, and I quickened my pace to reach the much more open pathway ahead where there was likely to be more pedestrians. It was then something told me to check behind me. I turned to see a man there, maybe 10 feet away. Realizing I'd seen him, he did something so unusual that it made my blood go cold. I can only describe it as a bludgeoning motion. His hands were empty, but he stood up tall, raised his arms up, his hands positioned like they were clutching a bat or a pole, and brought them down as if he was hitting something. Was he threatening me? Was he pretending to hit me? My adrenaline began to surge as he let out a little laugh, then began to stumble towards me in such a strange motion. He wasn't running at me, he wasn't upright. He was just kind of stumbling as if he was drunk, all the while muttering indistinctly. Every part of me said run, but I was worried that if I ran, then so would he. It terrified me, but I turned my back and walked as briskly as I could, my eyes scanning the path ahead for someone, anyone. I could hear him still, close behind, much louder now, muttering words I couldn't make out, fast, and in what I can only describe as a low growl, and he sounded agitated. He sounded possessed, and at this point, I was almost convinced he was talking to me. I marched on, willing someone to appear, and I breathed a sigh of relief as a group of people came into view. I checked to see where he was. He was still there, except now he was just walking normally, upright, his hands in his pockets. And he was silent, with a neutral expression, as if the presence of the other people had made him return to this completely unthreatening state. I quickly turned right to get to the road where I could walk in view of cars and houses and called my boyfriend to tell him what had just happened. He asked if I thought I should call the police just in case anyone else could be in danger. I was quite shaken and I said I just needed to get home. I ended the call and pressed on, eager to get inside and lock the door. And then I saw him again. Across the road, he was standing and staring at a woman on her own who was skipping on the path. She didn't appear to realize he was there. And he was just peacefully observing her. But after what I just experienced, I wasn't taking any chances. I called the non-emergency police line and they transferred me to the urgent line. I gave my report of the encounter and expressed my concerns that this guy was either messing with me, truly dangerous, or may have mental health issues, in which case, I also wanted to make sure he was okay and wasn't experiencing some kind of mental break that he may require support for. After I gave my report and got home, I tried to push it to the back of my mind, even though I was convinced I'd look out the window to find him standing there, staring or muttering. I forgot all about it until a week or so later when I was walking along the seafront again, a much more open bit and in the day, and there he was, walking along, hands in his pockets, muttering, but much more peacefully and quietly this time. He saw me and I'm sure he recognized me, but nothing else came of it. At that point, I was pretty sure there were health issues that could explain his behaviors, and although I felt better for realizing that, it didn't make that night any less terrifying or lessen the possibility that he could still potentially be unpredictable or even dangerous. So to the man who, I'm hoping, unintentionally had me scared for my life, let's not meet again. From Cheryl, England, UK.
If you'd like to hear these episodes without the ads, get additional bonus content, and your own shout-out, you can become a premium listener at disturbedpodcast.com support. Next up, we hear from Reddit user HWXBL, and we hear about the worst experience of his life. Performing this experience is Tom Aglio. Before I start, I know a lot of people come here and say, this is 100% true, etc. And half the time it seems as though they've lied. I will go to say what you're about to read is real. The events happened and I still to this day don't understand it. Do not expect you to either. Theories and possible explanations are hugely welcomed. I work in a well-known clothing retail store in the UK. I'm not allowed to say which store or company is. In my contract, I'm not permitted to talk about the company in what could be perceived as a negative way. And I work in the stock room as part of the delivery slash stock team. About two or three weeks before Christmas 2014, maybe in between, I had asked my store manager if I could work some overtime to get more money for Christmas presents and she thought this was a smart move as my stock room manager was out of the country on a holiday for a week visiting family also. Nearing to Christmas, the deliveries get pretty big, almost three times the size of regular deliveries. So there was the work available for me to come in and complete. It would involve stripping clothes from packets and hanging them within the stockroom. My manager had asked that rather than come in on a day I don't usually work, I work there part-time, that I should instead stay for additional hours past my contracted ones, which meant that I had to lock up. My manager trusted me to do this as I've worked there for almost three years now, so she handed me her master key. The only other master key was with my stockroom manager who is currently out of the country. This is where it begins. The time was nearing to around 8 p.m. at night. All of my colleagues had left the building and I had locked the door after them, turned off the store music and secured the bottom loading bay where the deliveries come in. I was in the stockroom on the second floor putting some hangers on the racking so that I could use them for the next delivery. I was stood underneath a puppy teddy that was stuffed between a pipe and a wooden piece of racking facing me. I'll post a picture. The teddy was an old toy from a delivery that was left behind and my colleagues had given it a name. The name I can't remember because the teddy isn't really spoken of much, it just sits there. My iPod was plugged into a pair of speakers that had been in the stockroom since forever. Only small things and I was happily completing my task. Happily until I heard a noise. Yes, that might sound cliche, but this noise was very familiar to my ears. And it was the noise of the bottom loading bay shutters being opened. I thought someone must be in the store as the only way to open and shut them is from a panel next to them, from the inside. So I paused my music and proceeded to walk down the stairs out back to the bottom loading bay. It was when I was about halfway down, the noise suddenly stopped. What I can say that always creeps me out about the place is that the lighting around the corridors, staircases, and stockrooms were lit up by strip lights, and these strip lights had sensors on them. So whenever you walked under one, you'd hear a small click and it would come on. So there I was gliding down the stairs, click, click, click. I burst into the loading bay expecting to see one of my colleagues, but lo and behold, it was empty. The shutters were shut. I embraced a shutter down my spine and simply span around and paced back to my workstation in the stockroom. I illuminated the strip lights and continued to hang some more hangers, the music from my iPod playing along calming my nerves. Until I remembered, I turned my iPod off. I span around horrified and just stared at my iPod over on the shelf. As I took a breath and shook my head, I caught a glimpse. 
a glimpse of where the teddy should have been sitting. I was drenched with panic and took a step back to look further down the stockroom, about a 100-yard stretch where I had suspected a culprit had fled only to face darkness. I stood for a moment, still bewildered by what had just unfolded when I heard a faint click. I instantly moved to my right to get a good look down the stockroom, but yet I still faced darkness. Click, click, click was all I heard gradually getting louder closer. This is when Pavlov's theory kicked in and I realized no lights were switching on in sync with the click. No light switched on at all. I turned to the door to see my only exit route, then span my head round back to be greeted with a dark figure in the distance. The figure was big, what I can only describe as perhaps a bodybuilder male. I need glasses for long distance things and usually only wear them in the cinema or at football games anyway. The darkness didn't help. Within his hand, I could see a small object, although when the hand clutched at it, I could make out that it was the teddy. This is when I felt adrenaline scream run. Out of the stockroom, down the corridor, through two doors, and to my right, straight into the ladies' toilets opposite the two offices, I ran straight into one of the four cubicles, the middle one, and locked myself in. I crouched on the toilet, crouched and shaking, partly because I'm a tall guy and partly because my heart was hammering in my ears, putting my balance off. The doors of the toilet took a while to close slowly, as they should, and listened out for anybody to be approaching. The doors shut closed, which gave me little relief, and I stopped and blinked, thinking for a moment. I wiped the sweat off my brow with my left forearm. As my head turned to meet my arm, I glanced down at the bottom of the cubicle. A face was there. A face was pulling away from underneath just as I caught a glimpse of the mouth and nose. My only description is that the teeth were black and seemed slightly bloody from a self-inflicted wound, and by the grayish skin tone and wrinkles, the person was old. I was injected with pure fear when I screamed, fuck off, and kicked at the door, making it shake and slam, echoing around the walls in a thunder. I swung the door lock back, took a deep breath, and braced myself before darting out of the toilets into the front of the store. I was charging along, prepared to attack anything to save myself from injury, yet Nothing stood between me and the front door. I unlocked it with shaking hands and ran outside. I knew I'd left my coat and iPod inside, but I was eager to get out. Locking the sliding doors behind me, I spanned to the shutter lock on the walls. It's located at the bottom of the wall. For this reason I'm unsure of, it's always been a hassle for people. I turned the key inside the lock and the shutters were descending. The store shutters were on the inside of the store just past the alarms, and as I crouched there slowly watching the shutters come down, Again, I witnessed the figure still holding the teddy in the middle of the shop floor. It was dark outside, and it was dark inside at this point. The shop floor lights are different and have to be switched on in the office. I closed my eyes and begged the shutter to hurry as it hit the floor, and I snatched the key away and ran down the road to the high street. My phone was in my pocket where it's always kept, so I called the police and told them what happened. I told them I believed a male had broken in. The police arrived shortly, and I let them into the store. I had them escort me to the office to turn the lights on, and as I reached the office, I noticed the computer was on. I told them this wasn't on before, but they sped me up to turn the lights on so that they could search the store. After touring them around the store to search, even the lift, they found nobody and told me to go home. The officers had said they would contact my manager tomorrow. The next day, I arrived at work at opening time, even though I wasn't scheduled to work. I was greeted by different officers from the night before and my store manager. We proceeded to go to the office just after my manager had opened the store and let my colleagues set up. The officers had said that they would continue a search that day and night again and that my manager should ask for CCTV to be installed. 
The reason our store doesn't have cameras is because the theft rate isn't high enough to have them, apparently. We all think that's dumb. Then again, we get away with messing around sometimes. I walked to the stockroom to get my iPod and coat before leaving when one last stab of fear yanked my heart to my boots when I glared at the teddy, stuffed back into its usual space. I was allowed two contracted days off that week to rest. I think my manager thought I was seeing things and needed to sort myself out. I returned to work as usual. I was happy to do so as it was within the daytime and the store was full with people. Nothing has happened since. I still don't know how it was possible or what happened. If it was a prank, if someone slash people had a motive, some people think I'm crazy, some think it might be a group. Tell me what you think. It was the worst experience of my life. So guys, I've been looking around for a game that would finally give me a good challenge. Something that's not just the same boring strategy round after round. And honestly, the more I searched, the more I wondered if I'd actually find what I was looking for. And that's when I came across Best Fiends, and it was exactly what I was looking for. It's the mobile puzzle game that leaves my brain feeling refreshed and challenged. And if you've ever wondered what it would be like for your brain to get a deep tissue massage, this is the game that'll do it. Best Fiends has tons of puzzles you get to solve, and the big thing for me is variety. It's never the same and keeps your brain on alert. I'm already on level 156, but I know there are thousands of levels still waiting. Early on you get to move through the levels as Temper, a fun little character that you help along by solving puzzles that get more difficult as you go along. And Best Fiends puts out updates all the time, so there's always something new waiting for you. Download the 5-star rated puzzle game Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Something is creeping in. Don't follow it down. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. She stole from my son, who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. Now back to the show. Up next, we hear from Reddit user Crispito Day in a two-part experience, including an update. And we find out what it's like to have an uninvited guest. Performing this experience is Matt Bradford. Lately, I've been noticing something off about home. 
Like, there's something else there with me, my wife and our two dogs, but I haven't been able to put my finger on it until today. For some context, I live in a duplex. We share the property with another guy in his mid-twenties. He has his own house and we have ours, but we share the laundry room that leads to our respective backyards that are separated by a fence. This all started around two months ago when the guy sent me a text. Hey man, just a heads up that someone stole my bike out of the sunroom. Now this is extra creepy, because to get to our sun laundry room you would need to hop the brick fence surrounded by shrubby trees and then hurl the bike over. So, unless the thief had the most massive pair of balls ever and walked it out through one of our front doors when we weren't home, it didn't seem likely. Either way, I didn't feel right, and made more of an effort to keep the door locked. Fast forward to a couple of weeks ago, I let my dogs into the backyard and one of them starts sniffing at the shed. Yeah, no big deal, the lizards are coming out with it heating up and they probably just chased it under the door. I finally got them to come in, but they didn't give it much thought. I hardly ever go into that shed. Yeah, nothing wrong with it, it's just kind of out of the way and I'm not really a hangout in the shed type of guy, so we generally use it for storage. Now, suitcases, furniture that doesn't fit, match the house, camping stuff, you know the boring suburban shit. We probably enter it maybe, what, three times a year. After the 18th day in a row of my dogs being curious about the shed, I decided to have a little look-see to see if there was a know, Komodo dragon in there or something since they wouldn't let this thing go. Nope, no Komodo. But what I did find literally made me piss myself just a little bit. I mean, just, just a few drops. Inside the shed was the bike that my neighbor had stolen a little while back. My first thought was, oh fuck, my wife is a klepto, but quickly ruled that out. She doesn't even like to bike. And then I was briefly worried that my neighbor thought that I was the thief. I mean, it's in my shed. I don't know how to explain that if he found out, plus I wanted to give him his bike back. I kept looking around and found one of our sleeping bags unraveled but balled up behind a box. Inside of it was a sack of what looked to be around $20 in change in singles. There's also a bag for garbage and it had lots of food wrappers inside. Eventually, my brain accepted what it was ultimately denying at first and put two and two together. Now, someone, I don't know who, is living in my shed. Or at least was. Now, maybe my dogs spook them off. Or maybe they sleep there every night and leave during the day. If they weren't coming back, then why would they leave the change? I left everything how I found it and started thinking about what I should do next. Whoever did it must have gotten in through the spare set of keys I keep hidden in my backyard. I locked up and brought them inside with me tonight. Hopefully whoever it is gets the message and moves on. I'm gonna install cameras tomorrow. I'll keep you guys updated if anything more happens. Uh, please hope for the best and that this person isn't a lunatic. And now, let's hear the conclusion to Crispito Day's story. I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. The bad news is that for three nights now my cameras have not picked up anything, so no creepy footage for you guys. The good news is for me, no footage. But the story doesn't end there. A few people who heard my story suggested I contact some local homeless shelters. After all, I didn't want to get the police involved and ruin someone's life potentially. And this very well could have been a person who just hit rock bottom and just needed any kind of shelter. 
So I called around the past few days and explained the story to some people who knew the homeless population. The first few conversations went something like this. It doesn't sound like anyone I know of, but let me hook you up with blank. After about the fifth or sixth time of being told to hit up someone else who may know, I got a bite. If Susan has been working with the homeless community in my city for three decades. She listened to what I had to say with eagerness, and I could tell she had a light bulb go off almost right away. That bag of food wrappers you found, were there a bunch of party mix little bite muffins? She asked. This was it. I mean, she was dead spot on. There were probably like ten in there. Nah, you got nothing to worry about. That's old man Dan. Susan proceeded to tell me the brief version of old man Dan's life. So, old man Dan is a supposed Vietnam veteran who, like many of his peers, fell on hard times. She said that he probably lived more of his life homeless than as a functioning member of society. They feel like he suffers from a multitude of mental health issues, such as PTSD and multiple personality, but has never been a concern for violent outbursts. He has mostly kept his head low and just tried to hang out. He also has a habit for shoplifting boxes at a time of party mix little bites from the grocery store. I guess they're his favorite. But old man Dan was infamous for one thing, setting up little bases around town. Some, they said, he's gone years undetected. Other times he's caught in a day. There are usually little bites wrappers found in these places. That's what usually gives his identity away. They said he's really good about not going back to where he's not welcome. He's just trying not to draw attention. Some of his local hideouts include under the bleachers at a high school, the away team's bench, less security, abandoned swimming pools like the swim teams would practice at. I mean, he had a tent on a golf course, but his most common are a plethora of sheds and guest houses he can find a way into. So now that I knew that my wife's life, my precious baby pups, my neighbors, and my life were not in any immediate threat, I took a moment to ponder and make my next move. I asked if Susan would come by and grab his stuff and track him down. She said she knew his usual spots. I tossed his trash, it was just wrappers, no cans or recyclables, but gave her the sack of coins and cash, with a little extra from my coin jar. And I also let her give him the sleeping bag. My neighbor kept the bike. Anyway, hopefully that's the end of this saga. I'm moving this summer anyways, so not really anything to worry about long term. But although I knew his intentions weren't malicious, part of me still feels violated that this was even happening. How many nights did he sleep out there without me knowing? I shudder at the thought. So, old man Dan, if I see you on the street, I'll throw you a few bucks in a water. But let's not meet in my shed. And finally, our title story coming to us by email submission from Sophia. And when you move into a new place, you never quite know who else might already be a resident. Performing this experience is Nicole Doolin. I was in my early college years when this happened. I have always had strange episodes, for lack of a better word, such as seeing shadows, people, or animals out of the corner of my eye and turning to find nothing is there, or hearing the furniture creaking behind me. 
weird dreams, etc. Things that happen commonly and that normally have some logical explanation that convinces you that nothing happened. When I was in the second or third semester of university, I still lived with my family. In Mexico, it's very uncommon to go away and live on campus. The normal thing is enroll in your local university and keep living with mom and dad until you are financially stable and can get your own place. My family lived in a very small rental house. I think my parents moved us there because the rental for the previous place had ended and we had to move. So they took the first available thing, but it was not at all a suitable house for a family of five. My parents, my two brothers, and myself. The house only had two rooms and therefore forced my brothers and I to share. It goes without saying that the situation was too uncomfortable for the three of us. But we had to support the family in some way, and so we pushed through while my parents found a more suitable place. Finally, my dad found a three-bedroom house in a beautiful part of the city that seemed to be the answer to our prayers. The owner of the house was a co-worker of my dad's, and she lived there with her husband and young son. Maybe about 18 months? But they had bought another house and were moving out, so they put the place up for rent and offered my dad a pretty good rental price. You know, friends rate. In those days, I spent my time at school between normal classes, English and French classes, and an internship. Part of the curriculum of the university was to accumulate a specific amount of working experience before graduating. So I was hardly at home, not even on weekends. So I never had time to go to see the new house or to help my parents do the general cleaning before moving in. A week before the final move, my parents had already brought almost all the furniture to the new house. Only the beds and other small pieces of furniture were left. I had a rather disconcerting and disturbing dream. In my dream, I was standing in the corridor of an empty house. There were four doors in the corridor. The first on the left, the second on the right, the third on the left, and the fourth right in front of the corridor so that if you walked all the way down the hall, you would reach the fourth door. In my dream, I walked down the hall and got to the first door. I opened it, and I remember thinking, what a strange house. It is completely empty. When I entered the room, it was also empty like the rest of the house. Upon entering, I found myself in a fairly large room, rectangular in shape, I remember that to the left there was a window through which a lot of light came in, and to the right only a wall. I liked the fact that so much light came in through the window, but when I turned to the corner on the right side of the room, I realized that in a dark corner there was a woman, just there, standing in the dark and looking at me. I didn't notice her when I walked in, so I was startled to suddenly see her standing there. She was an old woman, with a wrinkled and dirty face, wearing old raggedy clothes. She wore a long skirt that was torn all over, and her hair was disheveled and dirty. The woman was staring at me and breathing heavily. I could see she was becoming more and more agitated. Suddenly I realized that something was not right. I was invaded by this intense fear and got really scared when the woman began to float. 
which set off an alarm in me that confirmed something bad was happening. At that moment, I entered full panic mode, and immediately the woman flew towards me screaming and waving her hands to scratch my face and body. That's when I completely panicked, and all I could do was try to cover myself with my arms. I woke up very agitated and extremely scared. I have expected to find the scratch marks on my arms, but fortunately there was nothing there. The next day I told my mom about the dream and we both took it as one of my crazy dreams. I have always had especially elaborate dreams because my imagination has always been very active. The following week it was final moving day and the last one to move their things was, yes, you guessed it, me. So the last load of furniture and belongings was mine and the last person to arrive at the new house was me. My brothers had already chosen their room, and strangely, they had left me the biggest one. I had assumed that they would take the biggest one because they would share, but when I asked them, they said they liked the other one better, even if it was a little smaller. I wasn't going to fight them on that, and I was more than happy to get the bigger room. That is, until it was time to open the door and see it. The first thing that left me petrified was the hallway of the house. It had four doors, the first on the left, which was the room my brothers had given to me. The second on the right was the bathroom, the third on the left was their room, and the fourth facing the hallway was my parents, just like the house in my dream. When I realized that, I started to feel nervous, but that was nothing compared to what I felt when I opened the door of what would be my room. Rectangular with a window to the left and a wall to the right, just like the one in my dream. That's when I told the rest of the family about my dream. They all tried not to make too much of a fuss or pay too much attention to it, but my brothers did not want to change rooms with me. My parents had already painted the whole house, except for my room. They wanted to let me choose the color to my liking. So at that moment, to distract my mind from the images of the dream in my head, I asked my brothers to help me paint it, so between the three of us we would finish faster. When we finished applying the first coat of paint, my dad taught us to always apply two coats so the color would completely cover the walls. We opened the window to let the air in and took a break before applying the second. We were chit-chatting, but no one touched on the subject of my dream. When we decided that enough time had passed to dry the first coat of paint, we went back into the room and grabbed the rollers and brushes to get to work. Only no one moved. The three of us stood looking at one of the walls where handprints had clearly appeared on the paint. It was as if all the paint had dried, except in those specific hand-shaped spots. They were small, baby-like hands, and there were, I think, two or three totally recognizable hands. The first to react was me, saying, what the hell is this? But my older brother, who has always been skeptical to the core, said it was nothing and that we better finish painting. So we hurried and applied the second coat of paint, making sure to cover the hand marks. I know that my brother just wanted to divert our attention from the fact so that my younger brother and I would not panic, but fear also showed on his face. Later, when we told my parents what happened, my mom offered an acceptable explanation for the hand marks. Surely the owner's son played in that room and left greasy stains with his hands on the wall. 
Grease does not absorb paint as well, and that is why, when we applied the first coat, the little hands appeared. We all went with that explanation, but I wasn't really convinced it was what happened. We ended up living in that house for two or three years, and each year was worse than the last. After this experience, other things happened. Like hearing somebody moving stuff in the kitchen, and thinking it was my mom or one of my brothers. But when I walked in, nobody was there. Or the time I saw a man coming out of the bathroom. He looked and smiled at me and went back in, but when I walked into the bathroom to confront what I thought was a burglar, yeah, I know, stupid, right? Again, nobody. Or the feeling that somebody was standing behind you when watching TV and feeling that they put their hands on the back of the sofa, only to turn around and confirm that nobody was there. I never felt comfortable in that house and was beyond happy when my parents finally bought a house and we moved out. I just want to end this story by saying that one or two years after we moved out, my mother told me that while we still lived in the haunted house, one morning a woman knocked on the door asking for someone. She gave a woman's name, calling her Donna, a deferential salutation used in Mexico as a sign of respect, like Donna Mary or Don John. The name didn't ring a bell for my mom, and she said, Sorry, I don't know this person. You must have the wrong house. The woman made one last attempt and asked, Isn't this where Donna Jane Doe lives? The witch? My mom told her that she didn't know anyone by that name, and she shut the door. It turns out that a witch did live around here. Next door, to be exact. And apparently she performed Santeria rituals did card readings, and I don't know what other weird stuff. We found out about that years later from my dad's co-worker, the house's owner. None of the strange things happened in the new house, and I lived there with my family until I bought my own place and moved out at the age of 26. Weird things have continued happening to me, but nothing as bad as what happened in that house. And I hope whoever ended up living there is not being terrorized by whatever it was that terrorized me. Now, let's take a listener experience off the hotline. This one comes in anonymously from Parts Unknown. Okay, so this horror story that happened to me happened when I was around six, and it was a man who broke into my house, sort of. Our house is going under construction because the hurricane in 2018, like, destroyed the house, and it was just chaos. So I watched as a man walked in, and he looked like someone who might be my dad's friend because he was smiling and he looked friendly. My brother was freaked out. He told me to go run into my room and stay there, so I thought it was just one of the friends I wasn't allowed to see. But then odd things started happening. Like, my dad came up, and the man started, like, freaking out, basically. He tried to make small talk, and it ended up being extremely weird. And my dad was holding a knife, just trying to make sure the man couldn't get further into the house, because the man was obviously trying to do something bad. So I peek out at one point, and I don't see my dad or my brother. And at that point, 
adrenaline rush. So I go run downstairs to mom and, and go tell her that I didn't see dad. And then she said he probably is just taking the man outside because she knew what was going on. So I look through the window, and it looks like my dad went into the van with the man. Luckily, he didn't. But I run downstairs and tell my mom that, and then my mom freaks out and calls my dad, and it's a whole thing where he's like, no, I haven't gotten into the van. I'm calling the police, and I'm in the backyard. So mom went to the backyard and saw the man looked extremely angry. And basically, after that, the police came and they found out he was under the use of drugs and he was brought to the police station and sometimes I worry that he may come back at some point and I'm hoping he doesn't. But yeah, that's what happened to me back in 2018. <laughs> Thanks for the call. And it's unfortunate there are people out there who take advantage in the worst of times, like a hurricane, and hopefully you never run into this man again. And thanks to everyone for continuing to send in your stories, whether it's via email at mystory@disturbedpodcast.com or the hotline at 701-354-3667. Remember, no story is too big or too small, so keep sending them in. And a huge shout out to everyone supporting us on Patreon. You guys help keep the lights on here at Disturbed. And here's our newest members. Joel Walton, Chris Barker, Lisa Blanco, Melissa Sutphin, Teeb Holt, Mika Sowell, Brayden Hertzlet, Desiree Kissling, and Brandon MacArthur. And if you love our show, consider leaving a five-star rating and review. Those really help us out. Follow or subscribe wherever you're listening right now so you never miss an episode. And help us grow by sharing the show with a few friends. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>